Hello, welcome to another episode of Oddly to Extraordinary. I'm your host, Stephen Brown, Scottish guy in Spokane, for at least another couple months at least. Um, and you're going to listen to episode 145, which is about jobs I've had, things I've learned from those jobs, experiences I've taken away and applied in different places throughout my uh, adult life. And yeah, you get to get some unique insight into some of my upbringing and um, different different things I've learned. So I always appreciate people reaching out. If you want to be a guest, if you think you know someone that would be a great guest, let me know. Rate, review, share. If you're listening on Apple, anytime you can rate a review on there, that goes such a long way to help and get this out. Um, regardless of what platform you're in, or what platform you're in listening to this, I'd love to hear what you think. So here we go, episode 145. All right, here we go, episode 145. Today is Saturday, October 23rd. I think it's the 23rd. Um, could be off by a day or two. It's definitely Saturday. I'm definitely not working. And I, uh, let's see what's been going on. Um, team made the playoffs, high school team made the playoffs, which is a feat in and of itself, considering we have no seniors. So at new schools, there's no seniors apparently. So we have freshmen, we have sophomores. Those have to change unless they can make a case to stay at their old school based on sports or some other extracurricular. Um, juniors get to choose if they want to go to the new school or stay at the old school, and seniors stay at the old school regardless. So absolutely zero seniors, lots of inexperience, lots of youth on our soccer team, and we're going to be playing in the playoffs and have a legitimate chance of going deep based on who we're going to play and where we're going to play and all the rest of it. So pretty proud of the girls. Um, it's definitely a feat for a first year program so stoked on that lots of cool stuff going on with work just now working with really cool clients and making things happen uh get to mentor one of our newer uh hires who will report up through me until december 31st when i fully transition to a slightly different role that i've already been doing for um a year or so and then it will be no longer one foot in each camp and fully into the new one. So quick update on what's going on. So today, as alluded to probably in the intro, which I record after the shows, I'm going to talk about some of the jobs I've had, some of the jobs that have led me to where I am now, going as far back as when I was very young and working as a, a paper delivery boy at 13, 14, um, basically until I was about 16. So... Uh, not just focused on what I was doing, but more so things I've learned that have helped me, things I've learned that I still use to this day and carry forward, and I'm so grateful for the experiences I had, um, albeit that some of them were pretty jarring or even uh, frustrating at the time. It's uh, definitely things that I think about more now, um, and I'm able to reflect more based on uh, experiences I have daily now that I think these prepared me for. So, yeah, that's what we're going to talk about today. When I say we, I mean me. You're stuck with just me again on this one. So, um, 
first job I ever had. Um, outside of doing things for other people that I set up um, through community. So people that I knew, I was always offering to do things for, for uh, compensation, you know, whether it was mown lawns or anything like that or bartering with people, yeah, I don't mind doing that for you as long as you're willing to pay me. So not that I was money obsessed, just growing up in the house I grew up in. Five brothers, We uh, there wasn't much to spare. We had what we needed, but I always wanted more. So there we go. So first round, our first job was a paper round, delivering the Greenock Telegraph Monday through Saturday, and then... Sunday red tops on the weekend. So afternoon delivery, Monday through Saturday. And then on weekends, on Sundays, I had to be up at the butt crack of dawn to deliver uh, the Sunday newspapers, which I used to enjoy reading as well. It was always fun to uh, read the newspaper. If you got there before my dad, he would be pretty upset if you screwed it up or didn't leave it in a decent order. So, yeah, my dad didn't like when we read the newspapers before him. So, some things that I take away from this to this day, and I think this is probably the genesis of this. I always woke up early, but I think waking up early on Sundays just to get shit done is something that stuck with me to this day. Going to the gym early, you know, even if I'm not going to the gym or if I'm going to skip the gym, it's because I'm going to an early flight. There's things that are going on that just dictate that I can't get to the gym in the morning. I'm still awake usually at 4, 4.15 at the latest, um, and I get things done early. I uh, I learned I didn't want to make multiple trips, so I delivered a lot of newspapers. So I had to carry a lot of newspapers, especially on Sundays. The Sunday load was a lot. Sunday newspapers tended to be thick, have adverts, all the rest of it in there. Um, the Sunday load was a lot, so I learned to, to carry more than was OSHA or health and safety would probably allow now, but I made it happen. Um, and I had to plan a route. And I say that because my route, a route that I delivered on for uh, for for this particular job was uh, pretty treacherous. I had to deal with uh, less than, not so much on Sundays. I'd see the, the occasional bum sleeping on a Sunday, but more so through the week, delivering in the late afternoon, early evening. I had to deal with a lot of riffraff, let's put it that way. I'd been chased, I'd been robbed, um, and I had to learn, let's plan the route this way, let's make sure wherever I go there's an escape route. I know that sounds crazy, but I didn't want to get stabbed. Or I was collecting money from people as well for their newspapers that were getting delivered, so often I would have a lot of cash on me, and I had to know where I could go, where I couldn't go, where I could run to, where I could hide. Um, and had to do that multiple times. Uh, if my mum hears this, she's probably going to have a heart attack. She knew the the route wasn't wasn't the safest. Thankfully, uh, nothing too bad happened, even though it came close a few times. So, um, yeah. So learned about keeping myself safe and and how to carry myself in, in in bad areas. So I did that from 13 until I was about 16, and I grew that route. I actually earned really good money while I was in high school. Um, a lot of times I had jangle in my pocket when a lot of people didn't. So thankful for that. Happy to have a little bit of extra cash and hopefully somewhat be a little bit less of a burden on my parents who had... My two older brothers had a paper round as well. Um, 
they did it. They had slightly nicer areas to deliver in than I did. Um, <laughs> I still remember uh, figuring out the shortest route to everywhere, but also keeping it in the back of my mind, if I take that shortcut, that's where a bunch of people hang out. So I have to figure out how to go around them, but still take the shortcut. Um, because again, I was only getting paid a certain amount. I wasn't getting paid by the hour. So the quicker I could do it, the quicker I could get to playing soccer, playing basketball, you know, hanging out with my friends, doing fun things. So learned a lot from that as a, as a youngster. Next job I had, I was 16. So in the UK, you can work when you're 16. I don't know if it's the same in the US. I believe it is. But the very first job I had officially where I had to actually pay taxes and all the rest of it was uh, McDonald's. I worked at McDonald's. And I was there, I want to say 16 through about 19, three years or so. Um, and while at the time it was fun, I mean, I was surrounded by older people. I, I learned a lot from management and it was a major differentiator for me learning the difference between a manager and a leader. So each shift would have a manager, each store would have a, a store manager. Um, and often the store manager and the shift manager weren't there at the same time. And a lot of the shift managers were younger and kind of climbed the ranks. And at McDonald's, there was a lot of promotion based on seniority or tenure, as opposed to aptitude to lead or manage. Um, and I learned a lot. I learned a lot about that and what the differences are. And we've, we've done, Ben and I did topics on that where we talked about the difference between leadership and management. So I won't, won't dwell on it for too long. I also learned, learned a lot about yield and labor costs mostly because every time it was quiet a manager would come and ask if you wanted to clock off for an hour or go home or and I never did I was never the kid that wanted I was like I was scheduled I knew they couldn't force me to clock off and they couldn't force me to go home it was more a hey we have a lot of people here and there's not many people we have a lot of people working there's not very many people buying burgers just now obviously the hourly rate takes away from the profitability so I remember being very curious in the office and, and sort of looking at the yield and the labor costs and understanding early on as a 16 year old okay there's more to this than just if i sell 100 burgers i make this much there's obviously the, the other things that go into it um the other thing i realized more so later in life i didn't realize this was the case then um but when i got older I realized that in order to scale something processes and procedures are very very important so when it's quiet, it's easy to make one or two burgers or chicken sandwiches or fries or whatever it is. But understanding, hey, there's a line out the door. There's 100 people out there that are hungry. We have to have policies and procedures in place so that the same product can be churned out multiple times in an hour. So that this 100 people out there can get their food as quickly as possible. And their goal, albeit a lofty one, was always 100% customer satisfaction. Don't think they'll ever achieve it. They never will. No company ever will. But learning why the processes existed, learning why someone tried to do it one way, but we decided, hey, this is how we're going to drop X amount of ketchup on each burger. Okay, I know it sounds really silly, but it was, it was kind of life-altering for me to understand that scale can break things. It's easy to do things once or twice. It's hard to replicate at scale 
and maintain standards. So learn that from McDonald's, albeit that you might consider McDonald's to be not the best of restaurants. There's a lot that can be learned from working there, I promise you that. So while I was working at McDonald's, I actually, I moonlighted a lot. So often when I was growing up, I had a lot of jobs um, and I'd have three or four at a time, especially going through college. And I've picked, I've cherry picked some of these just to, to give an idea of what I learned. But the next job, I actually worked for the government and it's not as elaborate as I just made it sound. I worked for Inverclyde Leisure, which had multiple sports centres, so think like YMCA-type deals but run by the government. I don't believe anything really... I mean, I guess there's parks and recs that have gyms and and ice rinks and things like that, so it's somewhat comparable, but essentially the the UK is very, very much more of a socialised country than the US is, so a lot of the recreational things falls on government both local and national government so rather than seeing planet fitness and all these private gyms which still exist a lot of times gyms are offered subsidized by the government swimming pools ice rinks things like that so i worked for inverclyde leisure um started off on the ice rink i it was like a, a leisurely thing that we did on thursday friday saturday nights when i was maybe 15 onwards where we went ice skating and ended up working at the ice rink as a a steward so the people that help people that fall over kick little assholes off when they're doing things that are less than uh less than social mostly for anti-social behavior and things like that you kick them off for five minutes ten minutes um i was first aid trained we dealt with anybody that hurt themselves badly as well obviously that served me well into later life as well but there was a re-emphasis here on the difference between leadership and management. And again, often tenure, this happens in government, it happens in education. Once people have been there for a certain amount of time, they tend to get promoted whether they deserve it or not. And I worked for a lot of people who really shouldn't have been in any kind of leadership position. There was a lot of rules for thee, but not me. Um, You know, and me being who I am, I'd call a lot of that out. So I think looking back, a lot of these people thought I was difficult, whereas I was just looking for consistency, application of process and and, and fair process as well. You got to treat us all the same. You know, just because you're buddies with that person doesn't mean that they don't have to do the shit that I have to do. Um, Lots of little mundane tasks and things. But then same company, I ended up transitioning away from the ice rink and working in a gym obviously that falls in line with what i was studying sports science physiology and such so working at the gym doing personal training um helping people learn how to be fit healthy active um really enjoyed that but one of the things i picked up on here early on and i didn't know that there was really an alternative path was how inefficient paying people by the hour can be and i'm not saying that you shouldn't have an hourly pay I'm just saying that for me, even back then, I always had this thought that, well, that guy gets paid the same as me, but he does much less. And I don't like this because I'm putting in more effort. I'm applying myself in ways that he's not, she's not. But yet, if they work eight hours and I work eight hours, we get paid the same. And it wasn't necessarily that I was, uh, it wasn't even a a nasty kind of feeling or thought that I had, I just realized I don't want to be in that position for the rest of my life. I don't want to work for some somebody with people who 
do not pay me more for f- better application, better adherence to to what's expected. And I've always been a big proponent of performance-based pay and performance-based increases in salary or whatever. What I think lacks is when you're paying somebody by the hour and you're like, oh, you've been here for six months, you get your automatic 50 cents an hour increase or whatever it is. I don't like that. I think it should be performance-based. I think there should be a review process. And paying by the hour just seems inefficient, even if it's necessary at times. I understand it's necessary in, we'll call them lower-level jobs. That might sound elitist. But I didn't like it. I didn't want to be part of that. And at this point, I was thinking salary. I'm like, I want to get paid more. I want to be able to get salary plus bonuses. I want to be able to increase this. So obviously I'm not, I don't have a salary now and we're going to get to that further down the line. Um, But yeah, I also learned in working for government that affecting change in any kind of policy or procedure is like an act of Congress. And obviously that goes hand in hand. Congress is government. Um, But committees exist. Most things that go to committees come out broken because there's a lot of politics at play. People don't want to upset somebody that maybe made the original policy. Um, A lot of the people that make policies and procedures aren't boots on the ground. So when you explain why a policy or a procedure isn't efficient, they don't want to hear it. They just want to know that this this is the end case that we want to get to. The easiest way to get there in our minds is this. Even if that means that we're bypassing things or we're overlooking other things that, that are very important. So at this point, after a couple of years, I realized quickly I did not ever want to work in government again. I don't want to work for government. Generally, I'm working with government to this day in terms of contracting with them and, and doing different things is, is labor, labor intensive. It's uh, frustrating. And getting things achieved is very, very difficult. So learn then, don't want to be in government. All right, this one was a a life changer for me. So I was at college um, and I was doing this in tandem with working slash assistant manager and then managing a bar restaurant, which I'll get to the bar restaurant part. But the Chinese restaurant, my friend Aaron, he... um, he had worked at this restaurant for a long time and he hated Mondays. Mondays were meat delivery day and he approached me one day. He's like, hey, Carson, who was the owner of the restaurant, needs somebody on Mondays. I told him I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm focused on other things. I was like, okay, I'm listening. And essentially on a Monday, the meat got delivered and I've I've got a term in brackets here on my notes. It's semi-frozen. So it leaves wherever it's coming from, on a truck, frozen. It thaws to the point that it's frozen still to the touch, but with a sharp blade, you can cut it. So I accepted this position, and the hours were 3 p.m., so the restaurant opened at like 4.30 or 5, but the hours on the Monday were 3 p.m., basically until you're done. 11 o'clock was when the restaurant closed. So it's eight hours. So I thought it was an eight-hour job. It wasn't hourly. It was a set fee. Even if I broke it down to an hourly fee, it was still pretty acceptable for an eight-hour fee. It was a lot, actually, for one day's work. 
So this meat would get delivered frozen. And think lots and lots of full whole chickens, massive pots, multiple chickens in each pot. I would have to boil them just to get the meat cooked. So the chickens would go in the pot while they were boiling. I had to start cutting the beef and the pork and all the other stuff, and it's frozen. So my fingers are frozen holding the meat. I'm using a sharp blade. I cut myself multiple times first few weeks. Um, but I learned how to cut all the different meats up. I learned, you know, different dishes require different quantities, different parts of the chicken, different parts. So learned a lot about butchering meat, so to speak. It was already butchered. I was just preparing it for smaller dishes. But the biggest takeaway from this was the non-linear income piece. Week one, week two, week three, doing this job, it took me damn near eight hours to get everything done. It was a learning process. As I got better at things, I started finishing a little bit earlier. And I remember I was about six or eight weeks in and I was looking at the chickens waiting for them to cool because I had to strip the meat off. And I would use my hands for this. It sounds disgusting. But to this day, I can... If you hand me a cooked chicken, I'll hand you a carcass three minutes later with not a scrap of meat on it because you don't want to waste any. But if I waited till they cooled off, that's 10, 15 minutes, right? Cool enough to the hand. I've got asbestos hands to this day because I just started stripping it while it was hot, cutting time off. I ended up getting the entire time down from about 3 to 6, 37 o'clock. So three and a half to four hours, I could do everything that had taken me eight hours. So in my mind, the it was always a race. It was always, how quick can I get this done without sacrificing quality? Um, and the rate of pay didn't adjust because I was making it quicker. And I got to the point where I was better than Aaron at it, and I could do it quicker than he could. And I got the compliment that he, he would deny to this day that I was better than him at doing it. But the major takeaway was, how efficient can I be how quick can I get out of here? I know I'm going to get X amount of pounds as it is there, not dollars. I'm going to get this much. How can I take eight hours and make it four hours or five hours, whatever it is? But efficiency was the key. And I, to this day, I still run my life in an efficient manner. You know, I don't want to waste time doing things that I don't want to do. I don't want to waste time doing things that if I allot an hour and I'm done in 30 minutes, I'm still going to take the next 30 minutes and make them productive. So, major takeaway from that, how can I be more efficient? And this concept that I talked about last week or the week before of non-linear income. I'm not getting paid by the hour. If I'm getting paid by the hour, I want to drag it out. If I'm getting paid a set amount, I'm going to figure out how to do it more efficiently, more quicker. I don't need to say more when I say quicker, I guess. So, a bar or restaurant. This is a story, I learned a lot, right? So, and I believe that everybody, bar none, should work in a service industry job at some point in their life, usually when they're young. You learn how to treat customers right, and you learn how to treat workers right. You know, I often see people say, judge others based on how they treat people, how kind they treat people. Um, you know, when people get bad service in bars, restaurants, different places, stores, they get so angry and antsy. And often they don't understand what's going on in the background. Yeah, you're waiting in line for five or ten minutes longer than you should, but you don't know what's going on in that person's world. And I think working in the service industry is going to make everybody just that little bit more patient. 
you know, that, that, that guy or that girl that's waiting on your table at a bar, you don't know who's quit that day. They might be down to one cook when they normally have two or three, and they're turning tables as quick as they can, but it's not as quick as you like or what you're used to. Be aware of that. Just know that people aren't always going to live up to your your expectations. It's one of the reasons I talk about not having expectations. That way you can be pleasantly surprised. Or have a discussion with people. You learn this in the bar and restaurant industry. Find out why people are working a little slower. Find out why they're a little behind. All right? Learned a lot about stock, planning, diffusing heated situations. You know, when people are upset... If you can learn how to talk to people when they're upset and talk them down off the ledge, that's going to serve you well for the rest of your life. All right, so now to my story about... We often talk about fight or flight, and I don't believe in fight or flight. I believe in fight and flight. So sometimes you'll do one or the other. Sometimes you'll do both. And this is a story about a night I'm pretty sure I almost died. So I talked about defusing heated situations. My brother worked at the bar for us at the same time, my younger brother, Craig. Um, and there was a guy picking on him. It just so happened this guy was about six foot five, six foot six, and a rugby player. Um, I didn't appreciate him picking on my brother. And one of the other staff members pointed out as I'm serving drinks that my brother had been getting picked on by this guy. So I reached across the bar and pulled him down onto the bar and threatened him, told him he wasn't welcome here, get the hell out. Don't come back or else. I won't go into what the or else was. At this point, the door, the doorman, uh, bouncers, whatever you want to call them, they grabbed him, threw him out. I didn't give it a second thought at that point. Didn't anticipate seeing him again for the rest of the night. Finish up working, get everything done, tills counted, money's where it needs to be. Most of the staff have left or are leaving. I, I'm, I've got the key. I'm opening up the next day, so I'll lock up. And I'm walking to my car at the time and I just felt a presence behind me and there were four of them, I believe four. Um, I tried to run, they they were close enough, they grabbed me and I was getting pummeled. Let's just say he was on top of me, the guy that I threatened. He was raining down punches, the rest were kicking my head. My, I mean, I'm, I'm fighting back, my arms are free and I'm protecting myself. I was pretty messed up. They they made a lot of contact with my head and my face and, and other places. I thought I was going to die. Um, I can remember this almost like it happened in slow motion. The only thing I could think to do as I'm getting kicked from all angles and punched was to reach up and grab the guy again, both hands around his neck, pulled him down, and I bit his face and drew blood like a vampire. He screamed, the guy stopped kicking. I got to my feet, sprinted to my car, drove off as they kicked the mirror off. My face was a mess. His face was a mess, obviously, because I, I bit pretty hard. Um, but that was my, my flight and f- uh, fight and flight response to protect myself. Just I don't know why that happened, but it, it took over and I survived. So I don't know what the lesson there is other than just I know how to fight. But when there's four of them, I did what I had to do to survive that. Um, but the bar and restaurant industry, like I said, you learn a lot in it. Um, that may be an insight into how rough the area I lived in growing up was as well. Greenock's a beautiful place in terms of scenery and, and such, but there's still a somewhat of a Wild West attitude there. While there's not guns, there's still a lot of violence and 
you know, um, something I grew up with and something I'm used to. So lots of takeaways there. So then, no, no longer in Scotland, a couple more, a few more jobs that I'd like to talk about and, and just what I learned and, and why I think the lessons are important and stick with me to this day. Um, Challenger Sports, I started off, I came over here to work for three months in camps and I learned the difference between planning and not planning, right? And I talked about planning before. I worked on different camps with different camp directors and sometimes I would show up and they'd be organized, they'd be crisp, kids would show up, they'd get their balls, their t-shirts, they're ready to go, the camp ran smoothly. Other times, guys were more interested in drinking than the Saturday night before we arrived, balls weren't pumped up, t-shirts weren't figured out for different groups. Um, and it was more of like, hey, we're going to wing it. And it, I hated when we winged it. I liked when we were organized. Um, but my biggest takeaway from working for Challenger was a transition from working camps and clinics and, and essentially consulting with different soccer clubs around the country where I would spend three to six months with them and help them build their program and improve their program. My biggest takeaway was the transition from that two sales. I remember a guy named Paul Lawrence, great guy. I think he's a CEO of Challenger now, or CEO of one of the divisions at least. He uh, he called me a couple of times and asked if I was interested in working for them in a sales position. And the first time I told him, no, I'm a coach. I want to work as a coach. Like, I'm not a salesperson. And he said, okay. And I think it was about a week or so later. He's like, hey, I've still got this full-time position if you want to work in sales. Um, and I said, I just don't see myself as a salesperson. And he says, well, that's funny because you've been selling our product better than anybody else. And I said, what? And I might have told this story to Ben. I don't know if I told it on the podcast. And I, so I'm intrigued at this point. And I said, what are you talking about? And he said, look, you live the product. You are the product. You're going out here and working with people. You're talking about what you do passionately. He's like, you're selling it whether you realize it or not. We're just not paying you the compensation we're not giving you the commissions and the bonuses he's like the guys that get the commissions and bonuses rely on you to sell it for them they just come in and sign the paperwork and it really made me think i'm like okay yeah i'm passionate about this i talk about this company and what i do passionately and, and very knowledgeably yeah you're right so what i i decided i was going to try this sales thing um and i realized that it's fun and ultimately rewarding the only thing i re another thing i realized sorry not the only thing was that the right sales job with the wrong compensation plan can be so crushing so i was living in chicago selling for challenger had a base salary had bonuses even if i sold a lot it still wasn't a lot in terms of chicago so i, f I kind of saw a ceiling Loved the job, loved the experience again, loved the insights from Paul and other people that were selling. Had a great office that I worked in with other British guys in Chicago. But I realized that maybe this sales thing is is for me, just not this kind of sales. Um, another thing I realized was that being good and teaching repeatable successful habits don't always work hand in hand. There were a lot of really successful, what we called... Uh, um, regional directors within Challenger Sports but whenever I, I asked for help or guidance from them 
a lot of them struggled to talk about the replica the replication of what they do it was just i do this you should do this and it's like well that that doesn't work for my personality it doesn't work um within the region i'm in you know you've you've kind of got this relationship and i realized that relationships were more important than the the processes right so i'm, I'm not a numbers guy when it comes to sales i'm not going to speak to 100 people i'm going to speak to 10 people and build really good relationships so that they become salespeople on my behalf and they speak to 10 people each and they speak to 10 people each so i hate that that sounds almost uh multi-level marketing but essentially that's that's what i try and do i try and build lasting relationships so that those people are going to advocate on my behalf instead of contacting hundreds or thousands of people and just playing a numbers game of constantly calling and, and emailing so I learned that it wasn't always replicable. I learned that people weren't great at teaching what they did to be successful. Even though it could be rec replicable, they couldn't express what they were doing. So, love Challenger Sports. They gave me the opportunities here. But the biggest takeaway for me was this isn't going to work for me long term. And then I moved to Washington. After a year of doing it here in Washington, I actually had a lot of success year one here in Washington, but still wasn't loving it. I wasn't jazzed about what I was doing. I decided I was going to run a soccer club here. And I learned a lot running the soccer club. Uh, anybody that knows me closely knows that the, me running a soccer club was the reason I took a, what would that be, a, a six-year, seven-year hiatus from, from actually coaching. Um, and... So sometimes your dream job can be a nightmare, all right? Sometimes when it's a labor of love, it's so frustrating. And the biggest frustration for me and what I took away from running the soccer club was that vision and success long-term is often destroyed by short-sightedness, by people that want instant success, people that don't want to follow the pathway, the process to get there. Um, and I can go into this in more detail with but I don't want to bore people with, with soccer politics. But long story short, I had a vision and a plan and I laid it out for people and people bought in initially. But, and I, and I hold my hand up and say that some of this might be me as well, that I wasn't, I mean, we're going back 10 years, I wasn't the person I am now then and a lot of the insights I have now came from having the frustrations of here's the vision here's how we get there here's the pathway i'm showing you the map why are you trying to take shortcuts why are you trying to cut corners why aren't you trusting that if we build a soccer club down low we can go without having 15 16 17 year olds right now because we'll have them eventually if we retain and customer retention in the soccer world is terrible customer acquisition is a, a premium so people are going out and acquiring through two methods one's consolidation where they bring clubs together the other is i'm going to go and acquire a team i'm going to bring an entire team over from this club to that club but while they're taking care of the front door and welcoming people in the front door often there's two or three teams leaving out the back door with the same process so rather than wrapping people rather than directors and coaches wrapping their arms around what they've got embracing it and creating a, a product that they can stand on and and really build on they're really focused on growth, 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 and often growth at an unsustainable rate and growth for growth's sake. Sometimes growth is bad if it's unsustainable. Sometimes growth is bad if 
you can't service those people and create a product that's consistent across the board. I know that sounds strange when I'm talking about coaching kids soccer, but it's a highly competitive world. And I got burnt out of the political side of it. I got burnt out of reminding people that, look, there's a long-term fix here. This isn't a short, short process. This is a five to 10 year plan and you're trying to make it happen in one year or six months or sometimes you just want to, you know, reputationally, we're trying to build a reputation for being solid, upstanding people in the soccer community and you're not going to be that and you're not going to be an advocate for that for this club. So it was frustrating. Um, but like I said, a lot of the lessons learned there have made me a better person now. All right. And then the last job is the job I'm in now. And I fully anticipate this being the last career I ever have. And it's a completely different direction. But I'll tell you why I love what I do now. If I take all of those lessons that I've talked about, things I've learned, jobs I've had, first off, I have zero cap on how much money I can make. Okay, I am not driven by money. Money's nice, but I can help a lot of people. Okay, right now I, I earn more money than I've ever earned before. I'm comfortable. I have a lot of the things that I need or want. And if I don't need or want it, I, I'm not going to be a, a status-driven person that needs to go and purchase anyway. So from a, a monetary standpoint, I love what I do now. If I want to earn more, I can work more. If I want to take time off, I don't have to ask for PTO. I just go and do it. I can still work wherever I am. I have ultimate flexibility. Okay, so this is going to be my last career ever. Um, outside of consultancy work, I do some consultancy here and there. I don't really talk about it because I like to be in the background. I like to be affecting change in the background. Um, you know, whether it's sales, leadership, any of those things, I, I have a lot of little projects I work on. So if you're interested in hearing what I'm doing and how I'm doing it, reach out one-on-one. -on -one. It's not going to be something I advertise because I don't want it to take away from what I have to do and what I need, what I, I do on a day-to-day -day basis. But if I can work it in, I'll work it in. Um... The other reason I love Heartland is, and and things I've learned within Heartland is that working harder and working smarter don't need to be exclusive of each other. I understand that working hard can get results. I also understand that working smart can get results, but there's a time and a place for each. And like most things in life, if you take a hybrid approach, it's going to be more rewarding than embracing just one. All right? Because there's times within my Heartland career where working smart has benefited me much more than just doubling down on the amount of hours I'm putting in, okay? And there's times where working hard and just doubling down on the amount of hours I put in will serve me much better than trying to be smart and outthink the game, all right? I love culture. I talk about culture often, whether it's on here or off air. The culture at Heartland is one of collaboration, it's one of true caring about who we're working with and why we're working with them. And embracing that day after day after day is so rewarding for me and the people I surround myself with. And it doesn't mean that everybody at Heartland is perfect. All right, we get people that make it slip through the, the, the net, so to speak, and get into Heartland and we quickly realize that they're not gonna they're not gonna last, okay? But often 
people that join Heartland end up better in their lives and being party to that is so rewarding. Um, my leadership, and, and I'm talking top to bottom, I don't know that I've ever worked for a company that should I want to, I can reach out to the CEO. I can reach out to high-level directors, um, C-suite, and they'll respond. And they'll respond in an effective manner. All right, they're willing to listen. They want people like me around. And when I say people like me, I'm talking the emperor, the emperor's new clothes again. People that are willing to point at inefficiency, point at things that we're not doing well, and not just complain about them, but provide ideas on solutions, provide a way, a pathway forward where we can say, hey, let's put a, a, a team together, me, some other people, let's figure out what this command on high, so to speak, is going to do on the ground level. Let's think about tertiary, um, sorry, secondary and tertiary effects, okay? Things that obviously our government haven't been doing for years. Secondary effects, tertiary effects, what's the trickle down here? Who's going to be affected the most by this? Have we engaged them? All right? And just from a corporate level, I don't know that there's any company that's as willing to engage as Heartland has been. Now, People might disagree with that. People might want to. Um, people might want to uh, come at me on that. Happy to have conversations. This is my experiences. This is my jobs and why I'm doing what I'm doing. So, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap this one up. Episode one forty five. I've had fun talking about some of my experiences and my past jobs and almost dying. It's a pretty horrific story. So hopefully I didn't. Um, have anybody think I'm a lunatic for baiting someone, but it was them or me at that point, and fight and flight worked. So, yeah. Uh, please rate, review, share if you enjoy this, if you have any guest ideas. If you want to be a guest host, if you've got a topic that you would like to come and discuss with me, let me know. I would love that. Um, and until the next time, be good to yourselves and to each other. <laughs>